Hi, I'm Don Cameron. And I'm Kat Lebricks. We're your co-hosts for an intellectual property law podcast series brought to you by Bereskin and Parr LLP. You can find our episodes at bereskinparr.com forward slash podcast. Go there and you can access all the episodes and additional information on each topic. We hope our listeners are in good health, staying positive and safe in these unprecedented times. We would be remiss if we didn't start by thanking all the frontline workers that are risking their health for ours and thank the rest of you for staying home and for listening in. So we're recording these podcasts in mid-April in the middle of the stay home order. Um, So we're recording these from our respective spare bedrooms, studies, basements, closets, etc. So the audio quality (laughs) may not be as good as it usually is but we guarantee that the content quality remains at its highest level. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking to one of our partners, Dr. Patricia Fulkins, about what life is like for patent applicants and our firm's patent practice six months after the introduction of significant changes to the Patent Act and roles. Last fall, before these changes came into effect, we did a podcast where I spoke with Drs. Lawrence McPhee and Andrew Birnbaum about what was about to hit the Canadian patent world. It sounded like a lot of changes happening at once. And who better to tell us about it but Patricia Fulkins. She's the head of our firm's chemical patent practice group. She has a PhD in organic chemistry and is a registered Canadian and U.S. patent agent. She's also currently the chair of the Intellectual Property Institute of Canada's patent committee. Her practice focuses on drafting and prosecuting patent applications in the chemical space. She also does patentability assessments, opinion work, and strategic portfolio advising. I spoke with Patricia from her home. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Don. So I understand uh, the, the world of the Canadian Patent Act and rules changed October 30, 2019. Here we are about six months later. So, so what exactly happened on October 30, 2019? Well, that was the day that the new patent rules came into force. Um, so it was basically a complete rewrite definitely a complete reordering of the patent rules in Canada. So the changes to the patent rules were primarily to implement the changes to the Patent Act that were required to comply with the Patent Law Treaty, which Canada was a signatory to. Um, The purpose of the Patent Law Treaty, I think, overall was to provide some harmonization to patent laws in different countries around the world, or member countries, anyway. Um, And also provide some simplification of the patent process for patent applicants and to safeguard some of their rights. So let's start with the harmonization simplification part. What were some of the key changes there? Okay, without going into a lot of detail, because I think uh, people have heard this maybe uh, numerous times before, but some of the key things that fall under harmonization, um, maybe that... uh, the rules introduced uh, the ability to request restoration of priority in, uh, under the Canadian patent law, which many other countries had and Canada did not. Uh, so that was good. Um, we introduced the requirement to provide a certified copy of the priority document, which again, other countries have required. Um, they also shortened some timelines um, and in a couple of examples to make them more like you see in other countries, for example, responding to office actions then. Um, paying your issue fee are now four months with a with at least the office action possible extension to six months, which is kind of like what you have in Europe, close to what you have in the United States. And how about simplification? Simplification. 
some of the new rules um, introduced some simplified requirements for obtaining a filing date in Canada. Now, this applied only to direct Canadian filings, only not to Canadian national face entries. Um, there were also some procedures introduced that simplified the process for re requesting correction of errors, uh, such as errors in the names of the applicants and the names of the inventors and their identities, and also with dealing with assignments. But uh, some of those processes also introduced some not so good complications and some other considerations that maybe we can get into a little bit later. But one, one good thing was that um, they did introduce a, a new procedure for making amendments after allowances, uh, and that was very welcome. And you mentioned uh, safeguarding. What, what happened in that department? So I think one of the main um, themes of the rules, uh, or purposes of the rules, was to introduce a notice requirement, which means that an applicant had to receive notice before their application would go abandoned. Now, this mainly applies to due dates for paying maintenance fees and for requesting examination because other due dates such as office actions, the office action serves as the notice that if you don't respond to the office action, your application is going to go abandoned. But a caveat to that is that they also introduced some uh, complicated reinstatement procedures that if your application does go abandoned, then um, in order to reinstate, you may have to, in some circumstances, actually provide reasons that you missed the due date because uh, in spite of taking due care. So, and uh, they also introduced third party rights. So those are some caveats, some good and some bad, I guess. Now in talking with you offline before we did this podcast, you said there was another category that you described as not sure why they did this. So, so tell us about your not sure why they did this category of changes. Well, two that I just mentioned, those third-party rights and the due care requirements, I don't think they were required to comply with the patent law treaty. So I don't know why they were introduced, but they are. So we're having to deal with that. Um, the loss of the ability to enter into the national phase in Canada up to 42 months from the priority date, which was a real special feature of Canada. We gave, it's like, Canada's nice. You give you, we're giving applicants that whole extra year to file in Canada as a matter of right without having to provide reasons. Well, that's, that's kind of gone. You can still do it, but you have to provide reasons, um, that you miss that due date, uh, unintentionally. Um, so I'm not sure why, again, not necessary to comply with PLT, but it was something that was introduced. Um, these, um, the caveats I mentioned with respect to the simplified procedures for correcting, uh, errors. Um, they introduced a bunch of shortened deadlines to actually do that. So while it's simple to do it, you got to do it within a certain amount of time or else it would be, be a lot more challenging to make those corrections. So we're here today to talk about how things are going. So from your perspective, how's it going? <laughs> well, I guess it depends on your perspective. Um, so whether you're talking about somebody that's working in a patent office, whether you're talking about a patent agent like myself in the profession, or whether you're a patent applicant. So let's start with the perspective of the patent applicant. Has has much changed for the patent applicant? I would have to say no. Uh, they're probably not noticing a, a huge amount of difference. All of the changes were mainly administrative, so the substantive law has not changed. Um, the obviousness, novelty, uh, utility, and patentable subject matter requirements are, are all still the same. So you're looking at changes on timing and filing requirements and things like that. Um, 
And we have to keep in mind that some of the new due dates are actually not in effect yet. Uh, for example, dates affecting PCT national phase entry applications. Well, for PCT applications that have a filing date prior to October 30th, which there still are a lot of, they certain certain due dates still fall under the old rules. And that includes the rules for the late national phase entry, having to require, uh, having to provide the unintentional standard reasons for not meeting that due date, the certified copy of the priority document requirement and the four years to request exam. That is an effect for, is not in effect for applications with a filing date prior to October 30th. So that won't come into force until I guess April of next year, 2021 before we'll see applications where we're going to have to be thinking about that. Um, I think one thing that both applicants and the profession and maybe the patent office is seeing is that in the month of April, we actually have this double cohort of office actions. So the old office actions had a six-month due date to respond, and the new office actions have a four-month due date. So they both fall in the month of April. So we're all experiencing that sort of overload of office action responses that are due this month, but that will pass. Um, I thought I thought COVID was supposed to slow down everything, but I, not in this case. Well, we'll get into COVID maybe a little bit later, but yes, those due dates are all being extended right now under the extensions of time that are being provided by the patent office. Um, but we still do have to deal with them. We probably should be dealing with them sooner rather than later, rather than having a whole bunch to whenever these extension time due dates end. Okay, back back to the non-COVID changes then. Um, I would have to say that um, there's, I don't see in my practice, and I don't think in the firm, because I am chair of the practice advisory committee, and so we're not being asked for a lot of precedence for taking advantage of these simplified filing proceedings for the direct filings. So not seeing a lot of that happening. Um, and um, I guess one good thing, I think, I'm seeing applicants being happy about the new requirements for um, filing assignments or registering transfers where you don't actually have to have the assignment in order to record a transfer. And how have these changes affected your practice and the practice of other patent agents working in this area? Well, I think in a nutshell, it's been a heck of a lot of work. Um, we basically had to rewrite every precedent that we had for Canadian filings. We rewrote all of our workflows, uh, which is how we keep track of our due dates. Uh, we had to write new precedent letters for the new procedures like requesting the withdrawal of a notice of allowance. We, we did a lot of training and education within our firm. I mean, we've had to deal with some glitches here and there uh, in some of our letters and making corrections, but the patent office also had some glitches, which maybe I'll talk about when we're talking about how it's affecting the patent office, get into more details okay. about that. Um, we're also having to keep track of the new due dates, whether they apply to which applications they apply to. Uh, so the transitional provisions we, we have to look at, and they're, they were quite complicated. So depending on the filing date or the issue date of the notice, um, you know, we have to look at that and decide which, which due date applies and which rule applies. And it's been a bit complicated. I think, um, one of the more confusing changes has been with the assignments. Um, as I, I said before, it is a simplified procedure, but they, they got rid of reporting assignments. And I think there was a history of, I think because it was in the Patent Act, that if you don't record an assignment, um, an assignment is void against a subsequent 
assignment unless it's recorded. And so there's a history of patent professionals wanting to record assignments. And the patent office doesn't do that anymore. They will not record an assignment. They record the fact of a transfer. And so our question was, well, what's a transfer? What does the patent office think is a transfer? So look, I mean, the, the patent office was very uh, helpful and, and was very clear, but, but we had to go through the whole process of asking them that and then figuring it all out and then adjusting our practices. So a transfer is just, they consider a transfer, at least the patent office considers a transfer. Um, when the applicant changes uh, and they have to change their records. So basically after filing, if uh, an application is reassigned to a new applicant, you record the fact of that transfer. To do that, you just provide information. You don't really need to provide a copy of assignment, but you can. If it is the transferee that is requesting the transfer, then you do need a copy of the assignment. Okay, and, and last but not least, can you tell how things are going at the patent office? Well, since I don't work there, I can't be 100% sure. Um, but from, from the side, we have seen a few glitches that must be causing a few headaches. And I, I imagine most of them are computer related because they have to put in their systems automatically generating notices. And of course, not, not everything is perfect. Um, they do have an online uh, feedback mechanism. I don't want to call it a complaint mechanism, but we've been using it a lot. And we put that in and put our comments and everybody is. And SIPO has been responding quite well. Um, one thing that's happening is that on their new filing receipts, there's incomplete information there. There's not enough room to put all of the inventor names or the complete title in certain circumstances. So you get this dot, dot, dot. And nice. of course that's not settling well with a lot of applicants. So we're trying to get that fixed and seeing what they can do about that. Uh, on the registration certificates, which I just talked to you about, you can register an assignment and you get a certificate of registration, but it doesn't say what document was registered. Like you could have registered a name change document um, instead of an assignment, but it doesn't distinguish between those. So we're trying to get that sorted out. Are you seeing some cooperation from the patent office about these changes and the and the difficulties people are encountering? Yes, I'd have to say SIPO has been um, very willing to work with us. Actually, before the rules came in, they did a, a countrywide informational educational session at different cities across the country that was very, very helpful. Um, they've been very responsive to questions. Um, the IPIC patent practice subgroup uh, meets with them regularly face-to-face. -face. Well, of course, not right now, but they have. And they have a whole uh, sort of running document of questions and, and problems and solutions so there has been a fair amount of back and forth. And so I'd have to say, yes, they've been very good at, at working with us. So Patricia, we're recording this podcast in the middle of the COVID-19 um, stay home rule. Um, some of us can still work from home some more easily than others, but how has the, the COVID situation um, had an impact on these practices? Um, I'd have to say, I mean, it's quite a separate issue. I mean, we were just kind of feeling like we were getting used to the new rules and everything was starting to run smoothly. And then this happened and we had to switch our thinking to how to work from home. And then not only that, you know, which has all its complications. Well, how do you file things at the patent office when you can't actually go to the patent office because we used to use the receiving office in Toronto, which closed down. So everything had to go to electronic. And so that introduced a lot of complications. Um, and not only that, 
In view of COVID-19, CEPO invoked new subsection 78 of the Patent Act um, and the corresponding sections of the Trademark Act and the Industrial Design Act to uh, announce that all days that fall between March 16th and April 30th currently are designated days. So that means in effect that most, most due dates falling on those days have been extended now to May 1st. Um, of course, this is to protect the health and welfare of the patent office employees and, and the patent applicants and us so that, you know, if you can't meet a due date, you don't have to, it can be extended. So, so that's good. The patent office is still open, so you can still file. And that is our practice is to continue to meet due dates when we can and try to get all of, the, all of our filings done on a timely basis to avoid a big rush on May 1st. Um, you have to keep in mind those dates may be extended, and they, they've already said that if things don't improve with the pandemic, then they will extend those days. So that's probably likely, I, I would say. Um, but there was some uncertainty about which two dates do the extension of time apply to and which do they not. And then you're also complicated by the new rules and some transitional provisions about you know, what is the due date depending upon when the application was filed or when the notice was issued? So just, I guess the new rules kind of added an air of complexity to figuring out which due dates are extended and which ones are not. But again, I'd have to say that SIPO um, has been very helpful. Uh, and in fact, we had a joint webinar with them last week um, where we had somebody from SIPO and somebody, the chair of our pat patent practice subcommittee, do a webinar and talk about this, these extensions of time and CEPO's position on which ones are extended and which ones are not. So that, that was very helpful. So we had the changes in October. Uh, we've had implementation of them, or at least uh, phasing in of them. Um, we've been thrown the COVID um, situation. So let's wrap this up by saying what's next? In a good way, um, what do you see, what do you see in terms of any further changes coming forward, um, either in patent law or or in the regulations? Well, first, as I mentioned, we have to bear in mind that there's still some provisions to come into force. Um, you know, this due care provision. Actually, the first applications. It's interesting. The first applications that could actually need to use due care in order to get reinstatement, which basically the reason you, you missed your due date in spite of taking due care, the first applications that where that could be relevant, it was, and the first date was May 1st. Well, that's actually now been extended to May 2nd because the extension of time goes to May 1st. So, and that will be extended if those designated days uh, are extended as well. Um, so we're waiting to see about having to, what the patent office is going to accept in terms of reasons or what do care is. Uh, we're also um, third party rights, which I didn't talk about too much earlier. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how these are used and how they're enforced. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the late national phase entry, the unintentional standard, interesting to see how the patent office will apply that and what requirements there will be to meet the unintentional standard. Um, it also will be interesting to see how the courts deal with the unintentional due care standard, throw back to you, um, because all of those decisions of the commissioner are appealable to the federal court. Um, 
I think it'll be interesting to see too, now that we're all working remotely and electronically, um, there's been a lot of requests for the patent office um, to clarify the positions, position on electronic signatures. Um, so they, they, they're in the process of doing that. Um, it'll be also interesting to see if, because we're all, you know, we're forced to do all of our business electronically or by fax, maybe the patent office uh, will have to speed up their, uh, their procedures or their plan to modernize the electronic infrastructure there. And it'll be interesting when we go back to see how much we actually go back to our old ways or we kind of go forward with these new new ways, which have introduced some efficiencies, I would say. So, and finally, I think there's still some changes to come that, to, to the Patent Act that we uh, have to keep in mind because there's the Canada-US-Mexico agreement that introduced uh, a requirement that the Patent Office introduce patent term adjustment for Patent Office delays. So if a patent is issued more than five years from its filing date or more than three years from requesting examination, they have to provide patent applicants with some patent term extension uh, in, because of that delay. So that's a few years down the road. But it's something uh, Patricia, you might appreciate uh, a former colleague of mine once said that um, he went into patent law because um, it never changed and the Patent Act hadn't changed since the early 1950s. So um, he shouldn't have said that out loud because my discussion with you proves to me that um, the only thing, the only constant in patent law these days seems to be change. And thank you very much for these insights uh, so we can all figure out what we should or shouldn't be doing going forward. Thanks, Don. Appreciate chatting with you. It was fun. Our guest today has been Dr. Patricia Fulkins, a partner and patent agent and head of our chemical patent practice group. Information provided during this episode should not be taken as legal advice. Breskin and PAR professionals, especially Dr. Patricia Fulkins, would be pleased to speak to you about changes to our Patent Act and rules affecting your business. You can subscribe to our podcast by visiting breskinpar.com slash podcast. There you can access all the episodes, additional information on each topic, and stay on top of what's happening with IP in Canada. So subscribe and follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode. It's free and it notifies you when there's a new one. Thank you for listening to today's episode presented by Breskin & Parr LLP. Until next time, be well.